Room for Two, Episode 9, Nut Neutrality. Welcome to Shroom for Two, the podcast about plants versus zombies heroes that is actually putting out an episode Thanksgiving week. I'm Mike. And I'm Taylor. And both of us are still alive in the player-run budget tournament. How about that? Yeah, we both won our match 2-0. Um, we've each got videos of our matches being played. Uh, mine was recorded by my opponent. Yeah, my games at least were very close. Um, and... Uh, you know, I think I think I made some good choices and some bad choices in in what cards to include. But uh, all things considered, I think my decks are pretty good. Yeah, I'm happy with how my first two games played out. I recorded my matches. It was the the first time I tried recording my phone screen on my computer, and those videos get really big really fast. And, and they do. I'm worried that if I run into like a control deck, it's just going to be like this big six gig video. Could be. My fights are uploaded on YouTube, but I haven't uh, publicized them much because I don't want to give out too much about the decks I've been playing, and since mine are from my perspective, you can see the cards in my hand. Right. Yeah, especially because um, there's a guy in this tournament who actively listens to our show, and he's in your half of the bracket, in fact. there I'll post the, the, the challenge link in the show notes so you can see who all is playing in it, but um, one of the guys, Zidarkhan, uh, is a uh, frequent writer into our show, and um, if Mike and they both win their upcoming round, they'll be playing each other in round three. Yeah, I'll have to keep an eye on any kind of suspicious listener mail questions from Zidarkhan then. Yeah, for like, so what cards do you think are good, uncommon cards to include in a deck? What do you think are the best rares to build around? I mean, I don't know. I'm I don't want to just like give out what all of my cards in my deck are. I'm fine with like posting a link to my um my matches, especially because uh, at one point uh, my 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 player who I played against was uh, German, and so the their screen is in German. And at one point, I conjure a corn dog. Uh, and I got to find out that the German word for corn dog is Maeshund, which is pretty sweet. But uh, you know, like you can see that like everyone seems to be playing Spikeweed Sector. Like Spikeweed Sector is kind of where it's at in in an uncommon format, and so like that's not exactly a secret. That makes me happy because I really liked building Spikeweed mazes in the original game, which is like a bunch of garlics sending zombies mm -hmm. around from lane to lane, walking on spikeweeds. <laughs> Okay, something else that uh, we're going to say before we get to the show part is that uh, if you are in America, as I imagine most of you are, there is a uh, proposal out uh, from the FCC right now that would really deregulate a lot of parts of the Internet, um, would allow uh, your ISP to charge you more money based on what websites you go to. Um, they would let you, you know, have like the Comcast streaming service like doesn't use up your data, so use that all you want. But if you want to go to YouTube, then you have to pay extra for it. All that kind of crap. If you ever heard anyone talking about net neutrality, that's what that means. For people like us who make a podcast, or for people who stream on Twitch, or anything like that, net neutrality is actually really important to allowing us the freedom to do that. The FCC seems to be wanting to get rid of that whole concept. Um, so if you're in America, 
you should really call your elected officials to let them know that you do not want that to happen, that you want net neutrality to stick around and you want the Internet to remain the like Wild West where you can you can do whatever you want so long as you can connect to the Internet, that they can't like be a gatekeeper in that way. So there's a link to the show notes about how to find out who you're supposed to call example scripts for what you're supposed to say. So please, I'm going to be doing that. If you're in America, do that, please. Yeah, I understand that now is not the best time in our history to put faith in how the government runs things, but I have more faith in the government to overwatch the internet than letting it rest in the hands of individual telecom companies like Verizon and Comcast. But yeah, that is really important. Go go call your representatives. Leave. I mean, one of, one of the things about um, calling your reps like that is that um, that really does legitimately work. You know, if you if you listen to people talk who worked in, you know, Senate staff offices and other things like that, that, you know, when someone calls and is polite and has an informed opinion on an issue that that representative is voting on, um, that really is how they learn about what their constituents care about. And um, calling up and, you know, yelling at them and calling them names and, saying oh my god how dare you you're destroying the internet screw you um like that doesn't really tell them anything especially because part of the whole reason that this is happening is that elected officials kind of don't really understand this issue they don't really understand how important it is for for young people and just for for the world for the internet to remain open in the way that it currently is um so if you do call you want to be polite you want to be clear about what you mean and you want to make sure that you let them know that this isn't just some selfish thing that you care about. This is something that really allows people that make creative things on the internet to do what they do. Speaking of hearing from our constituents, let's get to listener mail. Uh, so for listener mail this week, uh, we've got a handful of questions that we didn't get to last time, and we didn't really get any new questions. Before we start here, I would like to remind you all to please uh, write to us at shroomfor2podcast at gmail.com with whatever your questions are, because we like to do the listener mail segment, and uh, we won't have anything to say if you don't ask us questions, so please do that. Our first question is from listener Adam, who asks, what's up with Fossilhead? Fossilhead, of course, the two mana, two, three, untrickable, that when you replace a zombie with it, it gets plus three, plus three. We've not really seen it as much as uh, we would have expected to when Fossils first came out. Quick Draw Con Man, which is like comparably crazy looking, is much more prevalent as far as being in decks that win. Um, and, you know, we've talked a lot about how Busted Untrickable is and, and that Fossil Head itself is probably a little too high power level, but we're not really seeing it. Uh, have you been playing Fossil Head much, Mike? Yeah, I have, and I've been seeing it plenty, and every time I play against a hardy zombie, I'm assuming they're running the professionals and the Fossil Heads. I think it is as broken as people decry it is. Like, I think it is one of the first cards up on the, the chopping block to possibly get nerfed, and there really is a lot going on with this card, to, to the point where I think... Fossil Head could be split into two separate creatures 
and still be really intimidating. Like, having a 2-3 untrickable that costs 2, just and that's it, that seems like a card that you could totally include in a base set. And then having something else with the evolve gain 3-3 three, three seems like another one. The fact that both of those exist in one card is bonkers to me. Also, when Fossilhead first came out, I just assumed that it cost three, but sure. the fact that it cost two is is bonkers, and I think it is one of the most overpowered. You know, I don't know if it's better than Zombla because of all the decks that are just built around that entirely, and you know, Quick Draw Con Man is also really good. But I think I think Fossilhead is right up there with those, and I would not be surprised to to see it get nerfed. And I'm hoarding all of my extra copies of it just in case it does. Oh sure, yeah. I mean, it's I. I don't mean to make it sound like the card's not good. The card's definitely great, and I do put it in all of my Hardy decks. But um, when I first saw that card, I was worried that it would, it was going to be the card that led to, you know, a, a spate of totally uninteractable with zombie aggro decks. Um, and instead, what we have is a bunch of uninteractable with zombie combo decks. So that's, I guess, maybe better. But yeah, I mean, it's. I think that when I saw it, I thought the sky would fall, and the sky hasn't really fallen. Um, but that's not to say that it's not amazing. And uh, listener Adam also asks what we think about Gatling P. Uh, and uh, Mike, I believe you're the one that owns the Gatling P's around here. It does. I'm I'm up to three of them now, and I'm not really a huge fan. Like I like P decks a lot, and when I made P decks, I would usually include uh, onion rings to give all the little weak guys extra buffs and gadling p is not ideal for that like it i think the best way to set a gadling p up is if you're able to get like a torchwood and podfather down on turn four because then you can play the the gadling p on top of the podfather get the two two buff from it and have the extra two attack mm. from torchwood but um I I haven't seen it. Uh cards that cost 5 are are kind of tricky like that is that is considered late game at this point like yeah, I don't agreed. I don't include a lot of plant cards that cost more than 5 at this point. You know, I I might go and tool around with that some more and come back next week with a with a P deck, but it it it's not the kind of like tribe fortifying big card that like a like a gloom shroom has been and every time i open a gadling p i wish it were a lima pluridon or a triceratops instead yeah um i mean i think when you look at other five mana plant plays there are just better ones i think that even in megagro that uh pod fighter and um Red Plantit even are are both better at that cur at, uh, at that spot. Same thing with Onion Rings. Um, and then when you go out of the Mega Grow colors, there are just a lot of really impactful plays to make at five. So you've got um, Jumping Bean. You've got even like Jolly Holly. You know, comes down and affects the board. Like basically deals four to a thing and freezes its neighbors. Like that's not terrible. Um, or like, look at shooting starfruit. If my opponent plays a shooting starfruit, I am just nervous as hell because my whole board might die. Versus a gadling pea, I'm I'm not hit with that same kind of instant fear of God. 
Yeah, and I mean, Gatling P, like, the kind of the dream to live with Gatling P is that you kill a thing, you kill a zombie, and then you deal a bunch of damage to their face. Well, if you wanted to do that, there are plenty of cards with strike through that just kind of do that on their own. You've got Astrocado and um, Power Flower. You know, that if what you want is something that comes down, affects the board by killing a thing, and also gets in for some damage, those cards don't require you to sacrifice a, a creature on the front end, and the strike through means that you're getting in no matter what. Like, if they have a 5-5 five five and you play Gatling P in front of it, um, it's just going to trade, and you're not going to get in any damage to their face, and that's no good. Yeah, also dies to rocket science right away, and, and is, that's disappointing, and... Green cards that have double strike on them already, I feel a little a little bit cheated by, I suppose, because, you know, one, if you conjure this off Cosmic P, you don't get the added bonus of it having double strike, since it already does. And also, you can't play it on Coffee Grounds, which is my Mega Grow environment of choice because of how cheap it is. Like, yeah, it would be awesome if you are able to play this on a red planted and, and get that huge, you know, that huge nine power bonus attack right away, but it's so hard to keep red planted alive for long enough to do that. Exactly. You really want to play red planted on something with strike through. Mm. But anyway, yeah, so Gatling P is like not the worst. If I was making a deck that had P's in it, um, I would probably play one of them, maybe two of them. Um, but there are a lot of other better legendaries that do that same kind of thing. Like I think Bananasaurus Rex and Onion Rings both kind of do what Gatling P tries to do, um, but just in a better way. Absolutely. If I had uh, three Bananasaurus Rexes, I would put those in almost every Mega Grow deck I made, which is not the case with Gatling P. Even though without the plant evolution, that's still a pretty solid card. So like, don't think of it in the context of needing to get the evolution off in order for it to be viable. That, yeah, yeah. That's that's like uh that's like dismissing sneezing zombie because it doesn't matter if they can heal or not. Like the actual beneficial part of the card is elsewhere. Five mana four five with double strike is is like okay. I think that Bananasaurus Rex, um, which is effectively a four mana four four with double strike because you're gonna draw a card and you're gonna kill and you're gonna attack with it. Um, like the fact that you get an extra bonus attack in, even let's say all the time with Gatling P, I just don't think that that is really worth it. Uh, I I wish it cost four. If if the stats were a little bit worse and it cost four, it would be a real impressive beast. But the uh, the the way peas curve, peas are are very cheap plants, and you know most of them cost you know one or two. If the high end of the peak curve were a teensy bit lower, it would probably be really awesome. But in this case, it's a little bit, a little bit too bulky, but real cool looking. Like I like its like eye camo. It's got like the army hat and the little eye, like black underneath. Yeah, and, and even like seeing you know a, a four or five with that number four with with the double strike art beneath it, like that that triggers you know that like that raw instinct. Which which one's the uh, is it Timmy or Billy, the one who likes big things? Uh, Timmy likes big Timmy, things. Yeah, like that that sets off that my inner Timmy seeing the big huge thing. It's like, oh yeah, I totally want to try and build around this, but it's just it's just not amazing. Like it's fine, it's not amazing, and and that's one of the things. Um, if you ever listen to uh, Hearthstone pros talk about, you know, what the good Hearthstone cards are, they'll often say that 
um, if a card costs one less, it would be great. And if it costs what it costs now, it's like just barely not good enough. Um, that's kind of a sign that the card is at an appropriate power level. That like if if you costed every card to be amazing, it really wouldn't make that many extra cards good. You know what I mean? It would just kind of lower. It would it would just kind of make the band between really good and not very good like narrower. But it still wouldn't change the number of cards that are like on top. And and so if a four mana four five with double strike would be crazy, um, and a and a five mana four five with double strike is like just barely not good enough, you know maybe it should really cost like like four point four mana or something, and then the designers have to decide if they want to round up or round down, and they decided that they wanted to round up in this case and put the power points somewhere else. Yeah, and I, I think that they're totally justified in doing that. I suppose there's a little bit of like legendary envy where colossal fossils came out with some really powerful high-end you need to craft these things to be viable legendaries and gadling p is is looking up at those in the imaginary tier list yeah yeah certainly relative to um a lot of the zombie legendaries um gadling p doesn't really cut it but i think um they kind of wanted to give zombies a boost more than plants in this set anyway. And so, you know, again, that's just kind of how that particular cookie ended up crumbling. Yes. So thank you, Adam. Yes. Thank you for the question. Our next question comes from, um, frequent writer, listener, Ryan. First part of his question is what's up with caratillery and Shellery? Um, kind of synergy list team up cards that, um, we've never really seen a lot of, and, you know, Shellery is okay in a deck with Go Nuts in it, but, like, just kind of generally, what do we think about them? Um, and uh, as for what I think about them, I think that they're kind of good at doing opposite things. Um, I think Shellery is pretty good at blocking, and that Caratillery wants things to be blocked. Caratillery wants um, other things to block for it. In a Go Nuts deck, one of the things that I really like to do is is to just play a thing in front of Go Nuts so that it that thing gets killed instead of the Go Nuts. Shellery is great for that because you know it costs one. Um, Caratillery costing four and having five power means that it's like it's what you want to be keeping around. Um, and so playing Caratillery behind like you know some random thing like the caratillery can end up like hitting harder than the thing does. And so like just from like a pure gameplay perspective, caratillery like is good at threatening multiple lanes because like you just kind of put it behind whatever they're not paying attention to. Yeah. Uh, caratillery, it occupies an interesting design space in being a really high power, low health team up card, which I think it's the only card like that. But I've never put one in a deck every time i've played one it's you know i've conjured it off of like beta carotina superpower or off of a starch lord or something because it is a root that's right but uh i i have a hard time bringing myself to play strong creatures with only two health because i'm always worried about it getting disco butted yeah i mean it, it is definitely fragile like so the deck that we're going to talk about this week in the deck segment um has a uh, red stinger in it and Red Stinger is basically a slightly more powered up version of Caratillery. And 
Like, I think that caratillery lacks versatility in the way that something that would be good at either blocking or having things block for it would have, you know, like red stinger, you can, you can play in front of something and is likely to survive because it's, it's health is so high. Caratillery will obviously die if you block with it. Again, not every card is at the top tier and especially for someone building on a budget, maybe for someone entering in a tournament where you can only play on commons. Caratillery is the kind of thing that like you need a little extra oomph and, you know, stacking multiple things that attack for a lot in the same lane and only incrementing their block meter once is like a way to kind of get underneath that that mechanic. Um, and so Caratillery is like fine for doing that. You know, it's a smarty card. You're supposed to be creative with it. Um, and um, and I think that it gives you a reasonable ability to do that without, you know, really being, like, all that good. There aren't really a lot of aggro smarty decks, and this is very much statted for an aggro deck, you know, being something with more attack than its mana cost is something very noticeable. And unless you're playing, like, a, like a bean green shadow, there aren't really any do a bunch of damage really fast smarty decks going around or you know unless you're playing nightcap but even then you're doing your own your own different thing but you know maybe, maybe someday we'll see like some crazy aggro rose deck using caratillery as a finisher because you know if it if it costs four that means you can play it behind a solar winds a turn earlier that's true it's sort of like um situations where zapricot is good um caratillery is going to be like not a ton worse than that um but anyway yeah so that's those. Listener Ryan also asks, uh, Wither Sports. Uh, sports used to kind of be where it was at, especially when Defensive End came out. And now uh, sports decks just kind of aren't around as much as they used to be. I think that a good amount of that has to do with there being other very strong zombie strategies. Uh, it kind of used to be that like sports was like the best thing to do demonstrably. And uh, and so then you just saw everybody doing it. But now, you know, you can do quick draw con man stuff. You can do Zomblob stuff. You can do various things. And that, like, sports is kind of just, like, one one piece of the puzzle. Yeah, I think probably one of the main reasons uh, we haven't seen as many sports decks on the ladder recently is fatigue. Because when, when the mascot and the Coach Z got buffed, we saw a lot of zombie decks and one... One of the first decks we ever did a deep dive in was my budget sports decks because of how powerful that tribe was, and people played so much of it and that they got kind of sick of it, combined with the embarrassment of riches that Hardy class has between Stompadon and the professional synergy. People sure. are, are choosing to go in a different direction. You don't, you don't really see Stompadon in any sports decks because... You know, sports decks try and have a really good presence on the field, where Stompin' On is trying to build your hand up more. Yeah, I mean, I th I think um I think for example that we are going to be seeing a lot of sports in this budget uh, tournament that we're both in. There are a lot of very cheap, low rarity sports cards that you don't even really need a critical mass of of guys to be able to make work. Like mascot, just as a one four that grows, maybe grows like one other creature on the board. That's like fine, and uh, the coach, you know, you see people playing the the three mana two three that is immune the turn you play it, um, just as like a way to to block effectively and a way to get a little bit of card advantage. I think that 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 works just as well as a four mana three three as it does as a three mana two three. 
And so I would especially expect new players um, or people who are otherwise restricted to building with inexpensive cards to be playing lots of sports. Also, if you don't get the mascot early on and you don't have like going viral or something and you're not able to grow your athletic creatures that way, it's not that impressive like otherwise you just have a board full of you know two threes and two twos and three twos which is not as daunting without a the mascot to make it grow huge and then in return of that we saw a lot more solar plants running mallet and briar rose to hard counter that so it became less popular while people found a new strategy plants don't really have a great answer to to trying to swarm the field with little guys at the beginning you know, in the way that zombies have weed spray. Really the closest thing to that that plants have is the mallet and like spike weed sector. And the the ability for plant decks to punish a sports deck that like isn't firing on all cylinders at the beginning is like relatively low. Like lower than a zombie deck would be a has to punish like a plant deck that doesn't get going right away. Like if you're a mushroom deck and you stumble out of the gate and then you lose your whole board to a weed spray, like it's pretty hard to come back. But if you're a sports deck that stumbles, you know, you're probably still moving a guy with sumo zombie. You're probably still casting um, uh, rolling stone on a thing to kill something. You may be playing um, healthy treat. Setting up arm wrestler in front of a black hole. Yeah, exactly. Um, there's There's like plenty of stuff to do. Um, and so, you know, the, the deck is resilient in that way. Um, if you don't have the stuff that buffs your team or makes it immune, then it, it, you can, like, the plant player can go over the top of you. But, like, just the fact that you're going wide, the plant can't really punish that as much. Yeah. Defensive end is still incredible, though. I remember early, not early, but, like, late in set one when I was building a deck, so much of it would go around, you know, okay, what do I do if I run into a defensive end? Because that can just end things for you really quickly from there. Defensive end is definitely one of the best gargantuars. Um, and the fact that, you know, like, I always say, like, something that affects the board is good. Defensive end doesn't really affect the board in that way because, like, it's not like it comes in and does damage to something or comes in and kills a plant. But the fact that if they're going to remove it with a trick, which is generally like as creatures get bigger, removing them with tricks instead of creatures is like more cost effective to you. The fact that um, it forces them to spend more mana than they would otherwise have to means that you do affect the board because they don't have enough mana to make their follow up play. And um, combined with like turboing that out with a gargologist or something or like, you know, brain lane um, like, yeah, that's just all the more effective. So definitely Defensive end is, like, strong enough to be a reason to play in that uh, mechanical space. You don't even need sports synergy with it. If you put that in your deck as a high-end finisher, that is still pretty daunting. Though maybe not as amazing as it was before Shamrocket existed, still pretty good. Yeah, I mean, Shamrocket costs five if you want to kill it. And, like, spending a five-mana trick to kill their six-mana zombie is, like, that's, like, a totally reasonable exchange for the zombie player. You know what I mean? And it, it keeps them from shamrocketing your undying pharaoh or whatever. Sure, yeah. All right. Thank you, Ryan. Yes, thank you, Ryan. Uh, so our next piece of listener mail comes from listener MJ, who sends us a deck uh, and asks us to take a look at it. 
Um, it is a beta carotene attack. Um, they say that they're a big fan of beta carotene, just like Mike and I are. So that's great. Um, and it's uh, split roughly 50-50 uh, between beans and uh, root synergy. So it's got Admiral Navy Bean and it's doing that kind of thing. Uh, and, you know, Cool Bean and Sporticus and stuff. But it's also got um, Starch Lord and some other things like that. Um, and um, so I think that this deck looks good. I like that the deck has um, kind of airing on the 2x, 3x side of things. Like, both for card availability reasons, but also, like, that just gives you more options. I think the Guardian class is very good at, like, play two of this and two of that and two of this third thing. So that when you encounter one of the strategies that that card counters, you know, you you end up being able to punish them. Yeah. It also has a lot of removal between running Shamrocket and Spikeweed, but also some bounce things like a Spring Bean and Jelly Bean, and as well as a Great Zucchini to, to keep it on top. It I built this deck, and it is really weird to play. Like, there's a lot going on for sure, and it really does vary a lot from game to game just based on what you're going to draw. But it it looks pretty nice. Like, it... The, most of the cards in it, I think, are pretty good. Like, I might go a little more environment-heavy and try to work in a Plantern somewhere, but, you know, it's running... Yeah, plant, Plantern is is one of the things I'd recommend for this deck. Navy Bean is a really weird choice, because... The... Yeah, like, actual Navy Bean, the 4-mana 2-2 that buffs all the amphibious stuff. I'm not as big of a fan of that. Like, so car, cards in here that I, would, that I would cut, I'm not a huge fan of Navy Bean... I'm not a huge fan of um, Sting Bean. Sting Bean really needs to get buffed in order to be good, and Navy Bean does buff Sting Bean, but like, you want to play like Mega Grow type buffs to make Sting Bean good. You want to be playing like, you know, Lily of the Valley and Plant Food as opposed to sort of the slower stuff. I also think that um, some Conjuration stuff uh, would be useful here, and so I know that. This is not a nut deck per se, but Cosmic Nut does do a pretty good job of like, it's kind of equivalent to Cosmic Yeti, and Cosmic Yeti is definitely like a very good mid-rangey threat. This is definitely a mid-range deck, so I think that that would work pretty well. Uh, in uh, the email, uh, listener MJ mentions that they have a Brainana, um, and I would put a Brainana in this deck. Agreed. I would probably cut the Navy Beans for like two plant turns and a Brainana, and then maybe cut either like a sting bean and a potato mine, or maybe both of one of those things to play um, something like Cosmic Nut. If I'm going to run potato mine, I'm probably going to run primal potato mine at this point, just to take out things like arm wrestler. I, I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Starch Lord is an interesting card. Like people seem kind of divided on it on, you know, whether it being this crazy, amazing card generator or just something not really worth your time. And it, it is a very long game deck. Like, you're trying to keep it on the field for as many turns as possible. But uh, it, it works all right as a conjure card. Like, there's some really good roots that come out from it. I wouldn't cut those from this deck, but if I did, I would cut it for something like Super Fat Beats. Or, no, I'm sorry, not Super Fat Beats, Tough Beats. Yeah, love Tough Beats. Tough Beats is, you know, costing five and costing four are pretty similar. Um, and um, And Tough Beats, sort of like how... Starch Lord conjures you cards, so to deal with the entire impact of Starch Lord, they would have to spend multiple cards. Tough Beats is is like beefy enough that they'll probably have to spend multiple creatures 
trying to kill it. So it is a card advantage source in that way as well. Not as directly so, like in that it doesn't give you options in the way that Starch Lord gives you options, but it also like front loads the card advantage because if Starch Lord comes down and just dies right away, you don't get the card advantage. Uh, Tough Beats is is more versatile in that it's it's proactive in a way that Starch Lord isn't. You kind of want to play a longer game, um, in which case you have to ride like your removal a little bit harder. And there is a lot of removal in this deck, and so I imagine that Starch Lord probably is pretty good in it, especially if you added planterns like that would cause the plant turn to be a 5-5 instead of a 4-4. So, like, so that's crazy. Yeah, but just in general, this deck is kind of missing some fat um, and uh, something that mid-range decks want to be able to do is slam the door when they're ahead. And um, I think that that's something that Tough Beats would help out with. Yeah, I one other uh, mark against Sting Bean is that, you know, if you play that on turn one, then your water lane is filled up and you can't play your Mayflower there. Sure. So, like, you're kind of, you know, locking yourself out of of the best ways in this deck, because Mayflower is another one of those, like, longer game, conjure a bunch of cards. This this deck, it feels more controlly than midrangey to me. Like, this definitely seems like a keep yourself alive for long and, you know, spend all your cards, but it's okay, because a bunch of your cards will generate new ones for you. And in that case, I think Tough, tough Beats would be... A, a good addition because in a in a in a control deck you want to have a little more high end firepower than what MJ has in here. Yeah, I mean, in a control deck wants to outclass their opponent's stuff with your expensive stuff at the end of the game. Um, and I mean, so something that we haven't really been saying, but is important to mention, I think, is that Stingbean provides an a, an amphibious uh, target for spring for um, Jellybean, um, and so. Putting that five power thing in the water lane just means it's that much more difficult to deal with. But I think that generally, if you want to enable Jelly Bean, what you really want to be doing it with is Cosmic Bean. Um, and Cosmic Bean, uh, I do not see in here. That's something else that I would recommend. I think that as a as a mid rangey slash control deck, card advantage is what you want. And if your card advantage enablers give you card advantage themselves that is like a good way to go. Stingbean gets you extra value when you're playing green and can buff it. You can't really buff it as effectively in this deck, and so you want to look at what else can enable the things that Stingbean enables while also being able to give you extra value. As a smarty class, um, probably the best source of of being a random enabler plus a little bit of card advantage is Cosmic Bean. Planet of the Grapes would also fit right in at home with this deck between uh, Sporticus, Navy Bean, and Galacticactus, and on the bounce stuff, you have a lot of ways to proc that. Absolutely. I think So Magic Beans is a good card, but again, when you are trying to outclass your opponent with your your late-game expensive stuff, what you want in between uh, now and then are stuff that affects the board so that you can be in control of the board so that the game lasts as long as you want it to. Um, and so magic beans draws you a card. If you have an Admiral Navy bean out, it deals them too, but planet of the grapes also draws you cards interacts as Mike said very well with all of the pingers that you have in this deck and affects the board in that it overwrites a black hole or a, you know, cone zone that's, that's given you grief causing your cards to be worse relative to theirs. That's how a deck like this can lose. Even though 
Um, Spike Weed Sector is like probably the best at the best environment at controlling the board as far as the plants are concerned. Just the fact that Planet of the Grapes is an environment is like enough to to help advance your game plan. MJ goes on to ask about the conjure mechanic. Yeah, uh, they, they they say it's a great way to give newbies access to random rare cards that they may not have, and it is. But uh, it also makes games a lot more random because sometimes you'll get something really awesome off of it, and some of the conjures will make cards you know more buff or cheaper or with an extra an extra um, effect that they don't usually have. What do you think about conjure, Taylor? Um, I think the conjure is great. I think that it is my favorite mechanic in the game. And I think that um, it is uh, mechanics like that are what makes games like this good um, because as a digital game, you have advantages that paper games can't have. And um, giving you access to cards that you don't normally get to play is is one of those things. Like it just does everything. It does everything good. Like it's advertising for the game. Like you get to play with this awesome, sweet thing that you don't normally get to do. So maybe you'll play more or spend money to get it. Um it helps the games be different, so the game isn't, you know, like, in the doldrums of, like, okay, I play my thing, and they play their thing, and I play my thing. You know, you can, you have some some dynamic um, elements of the game in that way. And uh, C, uh, randomness is fun, which is something that I think a lot of the detractors of this kind of thing look lose sight of. Randomness is a source for surprising you. It's a source for crazy game stories. You're going to win games out of nowhere just as often as you lose games out of nowhere even if you only remember the bad stuff like you really do like come out in the wash as far as like whether you win or lose as a as a function of the randomness and so i think that conjuration is totally great yeah i i'm i'm not quite that high on it but i definitely think that the game is better with conjure mechanics than without it could be that it might be a little too prevalent because of the way cards that give you a card back when you play them immediately are a lot more powerful than just cards you play and don't get anything from. And a lot of the conjures are partially conditional in that you're not just getting any random card. You know, you're you're getting a card from Galactic Gardens or a card with 1-1 one, one, or a card that costs two less than it normally does. And... You know, that's great. And when when Conjure was first revealed, I in my mind I compared it a lot to when Discover came out from Hearthstone, which exactly. is similar except they show three randomly generated cards and you pick which one you want. Mm-hmm. And even without that little extra like competitive control over which card you're choosing, like that is that is a skill decision in itself. But even without that Conjure, it feels really nice. It, it's good. It. I wish it didn't proc Dino Roar. That is probably my biggest gripe about Conjure at this point. Um, yeah, I, th- I mean, that I think has to do more with Dino Roar. Um, you know, like, as we've mentioned when talking about Zomblob, incentivizing things that you want to do already is dangerous. Um, and so when things, you know, say, what this card wants you to do is draw a bunch of cards. Like, well, what card games kind of want you to do is to draw a bunch of cards. So, like, you're making something that's good better in that way. And yeah, that's that's a little bit lame, but I think that um, in general, the upsides of Conjure are much greater than the downsides. Um, and if all I had to do in this game was just like play whatever 
ever a deck that I had, and the only cards I ever got to see were the 40 cards I put in my deck and the 40 cards my opponent put in their deck. I don't think this game would have as much staying power as it has, and so I'm hoping that we see more mechanics like Conjure in the future and not less. It's a very useful way of of adding depth and surprise to a game that is is really constrained in how simple it can be. And so, uh, yeah, I think Conjure is great. Yeah, I, I suppose my, my only gripe is that I, I wish that drawing a card and conjuring a card were treated as two separate distinct mechanics and separate keywords, but that's not the world we live in. So I'll take this world instead because conjuring stuff is fun. Yeah, and and it does work like that in most other games. You know, like um, in Hearthstone, for example, when you discover a card, if you have something with a triggered ability that says whenever you draw a card, do whatever, it doesn't trigger. And similarly, like in Magic, like if you search your deck for a card and put it in your hand, that doesn't trigger drawing a card. Either like drawing a card means top card of your deck goes from your deck to your hand, and that's all it means. And I, I do wonder if that was a conscious design decision that they made um, or if, if just like when they went to program it, like architecturally, like they couldn't differentiate between that and drawing a card. And, uh, and so they had to kind of roll with it. My guess is probably the former, um, cause there are a, kind of a lot of exceptions to stuff in this game, but yeah, like that's, that's yet another question that I would like to ask, uh, like a developer of this game or whatever, if we ever were able to get them to the show, um, just like kind of how, how conjure fits into the to the philosophy of the game. Uh, listener MJ has one final piece of their question, uh, which is what do we think about primordial cheese shover? Um, they say it's an underrated card, but that it's probably one of the better zombie evolution cards and asks us what we think. So what do you think about it, Mike? When, uh, when Colossal Fossils first came out, I didn't think that much of, of it at the, at the time. And then I started seeing how much evolution there was out there. And I think, I almost brought it up as my card of the week one time, but I decided to switch to a plant card because you were doing a plant card that week. But yeah, this mm. this is a really interesting removal card. The beastly class has become very controlly with the with the last several uh, uh, patches of cards adding, like you know things like sneezing zombie and and mondo bronto and and cheese shiver. Like they're Beastly has really kind of re-identified itself as a as a long game card with a lot of really good removal. You know, even even like Alien Ooze. Alien Ooze is a fantastic card, and this is an even more powerful version of that with a solid body placed on it. Yeah, I think um, I think that its power level is very good for its rarity. Um, I think like four mana four three is like a slight downgrade on the stats that you'd want, just like on rate. The idea that you sacrifice a worse creature to kill their better creature kind of puts this into into the right spot. Like it's not a crazy card advantage machine. You're not being left with like you're left with a body that trades down. You know it trades with a three two um, and um, and so you're both in that way kind of losing a bad creature and a good creature. And so I think it promotes it promotes like healthy board dynamics. I will freely admit that I'm playing it in my in my um, common uncommon uh, deck. Uh, for that tournament that we were talking about at the beginning, one of my heroes is Electric Boogaloo, and um, I've got some primordial cheese shovers in that deck because I fully anticipate, you know, people trying to go deep on like Plantern or some other creature and make it big. Um, and uh, primordial cheese shover is a great way to 
you know, if I'm suddenly presented with a giant untrickable plant, I can just kill it. Yeah, it dies to berry blast, but you don't care because you just killed their double mint or whatever. Yeah, I mean, like, if you don't kill a thing, um, then this card is really bad because, like we just said, it trades down. But uh, if you do kill a thing, then chances are, even after they kill it, you're probably coming out even or slightly ahead. Um, and so I think that's great. Yeah, it also encourages you to play uh, some more cheaper minions like Dog Walker or or, or uh, Cheese Cutter. That uh, if you're playing some classes, you're more likely to have cheap creatures to offer up for evolution. You know, like uh, like Leprechaun or whatever. And Beastly is not as strong in the early game, so I think that's a really good trade off for it. Yeah, that's that's why it's in. I put it in Electric Boogaloo because Crazy is really good at making tokens. Oh yeah, you got that superpower for it too. You got the superpower. You got the three mana three one like Mystery Egg. You've got just like things that leave a random little duder behind, um, and you can use that duder to do damage. All right, thank you for the, all the questions, MJ. Yes, MJ, thank you for the questions. Uh, and then our final question is uh, more of a comment. Listener Zidarkhan, um, who is also in the tournament, has some commentary on our explanation of Untrickable uh, from last time and um, uh, points out something that I didn't know about Untrickable, which is that cards that say, like, all zombies get whatever, like, you know, the Scorched Earth superpower and so on, if the only zombies that would be affected by that are Untrickable, you can't play it. It's almost like that uh, when the trick, like, evaluates the board to see whether any zombies can be affected by it that like untrickable zombies are kind of cloaked in that way. So that is, that's an interesting observation that I hadn't seen before. Over the last week, I was thinking some about what the next stage in the, you know, solving very powerful cards with even more powerful cards from the other side progression will be. And the, the one I landed on was plants that do something really powerful when you destroy them. Because mm. like that's yeah. that's a good way to get around untrickable. It has a a condition you need to achieve that, and it also it's a way to turn the tables for against like little cheap deadly dudes by you know, like oh you destroyed my thing. That's what I wanted to have happen. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, so thank you everybody for all the mail, and uh, we now have no more mail. So if you want us to answer more mail, uh, please write to us at shroomfor two podcast at gmail dot com. So, for our card of the week, and you all saw this coming, it's Turkey Rider. Ugh. Everybody's favorite bad tutu. I hate this card. I'm I'm still mad at this card from, like, a year ago when I paid money to buy it. Like, I bought the bundle thinking, oh yeah, I run a whole bunch of, like, a swarming smash deck with some pets in it. This will be perfect for it. And no, it's awful. Even in, like, the ideal deck for it. The leftovers are too expensive, and... It's a two-mana trick that gives everything 1-1, one, one, which seemed a lot more impressive back before going viral was a thing, and it, wasn't, oh, yeah. and it wasn't impressive back then either. Like, if you play this card, your opponent will just avoid killing it to give you that trick, because, you know, watch out, the leftovers will proc uh, Stompadon. Well, and especially, like, in an age of, like, healthy treat and sugary treat, you know what you can get for one or two mana as a buff? This is just, like a card from before they they kind of amped the power level of combat tricks. 
Yeah, uh, Leftovers will be a card coming up in set four, I believe, and I would not be surprised to see it get buffed uh, similarly to the, to the candy treats. Okay, I didn't know that. But yeah, this card sucks. Uh, grind it up. Uh, yeah, exactly. I think that uh, when I get my four turkey riders, I'm just going to turn them into like, I don't know, a forget-me-nuts or something. thing that turkey rider does now that it didn't used to do is trigger dino roar. You know, so when uh, if you've got like a Stompadon or something and you play a Turkey Rider and the Turkey Rider dies, uh, Stompadon will trigger. But like, who cares? Yeah. Just play a better card than Turkey Rider. If you see a Turkey Rider and a Stompadon on the board and you kill the Turkey Rider, you just just delete the app. Yeah, you're doing it wrong if you're doing that. Uh, so for our deck of the week this week. I decided that I wanted to build a Piconolith deck. Uh, Piconolith, um, as we all know, is a 5-mana 0-7 from Galactic Gardens that says each plant and zombie deals damage equal to its health rather than its attack. Um, and so I think this card is super fun. Um, it is um, it is just a straight-up text box swap uh from one of my favorite magic cards which we'll link in the show notes that does this exact same thing and it just it rewards you for building your deck in a in a different way which is something that i like and it um takes advantage of a lot of fun cards that have high toughness um so that's like garlic hibernating berry red stinger really adds a lot of versatility to those cards uh, in a way that can really catch your opponent off guard, you know? Um, and I put it in Citron um, because um, while I think Beta Caratina's superpowers are more powerful, Citrons are kind of, like, more health-oriented, you know? Um, you've got, like, make a walnut draw a card, um, and uh, plus O plus 2, and uh, and Immune is one of, uh, one of Citron's tricks. And uh, so that kind of stuff... That kind of stuff really helps you uh, go big on Piconolith. Um And uh, yeah, this deck is pretty good. Yeah. One of the things I like about Piconolith is that it has its own deck building tips, and it's not just like a nut deck splash. Like, you don't, you don't just add this to every nut deck you have. Like, there are, mm-hmm. you know, there are only a handful of actual nut cards in this, and a lot of, you know, like things like berry and garlic, which work wonderful. Wonderful for this. Um, yeah, there's only there's only se- um, there's ten nuts outside of of Piconolith, and uh, five of them don't even really work that well with Piconolith. There's three Forget Me nuts and two Juggernauts, and like those are not really that good with Piconolith. Yeah, I I might find a way to put in photo photosynthesizer if I were you, just mm-hmm. as a way to you know give things extra health, but also to give you a chance of getting another Picanolith, because in this kind of deck, if you don't get Picanolith in your hand, you're definitely at a disadvantage. I'm not I'm not really sure how much um I need to be teching against certain kinds of things. Like I'm kind of skimping on ways to deal with toxic waste imp, for example. I just have the one hot date. You know, if something like teleportation zombie were to come out, you know, I've got two grave busters and two grave mistakes. But otherwise, five damage is kind of a lot for me to deal um, until I've got my entire combo set up. And so um, something like Teleportation Zombie has the potential to really kind of run me over, um, especially when um, 
like something that Piconolith can do is like, you know, on turn five, like there's an open lane and you just play Piconolith and then they can't do anything. And so you get in a free seven. Um, even if Piconolith gets dealt with after that, um, that's like a pretty big chunk. And when they've got teleport or teleportation zombie available, that will just never happen because they can always block. Um, and so th- that's that's a that's a disadvantage of a strategy like this. Um, and that's honestly not very you can't even really counter that very well. You know, we don't have like an equivalent to a Rolling Stone in the plant uh, world, at least not um, not in these colors and not. For anywhere near as cheap as that, there's some one of cards in there, which is kind of weird, but whatever. Like, like most most of the one ofs are of necessity. Like, you only have one garlic, right? Yeah, that's right. I would I would definitely be playing more than one garlic if I had more than one garlic, but sadly I don't. I think that we'll probably be getting garlic in. I mean, I guess actually we can know this for sure. Um, if you if you skip your clock ahead, um, whether we're going to get garlic in the in in the Thanksgiving sort of zone or not. Um, but definitely when I get more garlics, so I'm going to put more garlics in here. I mean, I mean, we're, we're almost out of Thanksgiving at this point, so probably not. Oh yeah, that's right. I'm sorry. Well, never mind. Like, so garlic does basically everything that this deck wants to do. And I think that, um, if I had an ability to, to sort of consolidate my random one ofs, I would put them into either more garlics or maybe probably wouldn't play more than one red stinger. I red stinger. I only own one of as well, but you know, if, if I had to, um, I would probably play something like maybe Corn Dog, um, maybe Spirus. Um, those are cards again that I don't own, um, but that kind of help to shore up some problematic uh, things that can really hose a strategy like this. Maybe if I was going to go, um, if I was going to go a little bit lower to the ground, um, I might try something like Three Nut because there are a lot of things in here with less than three power that really don't do a whole lot unless you have Piconolith. And so maybe three nut would help in that way. Um, but again, I don't own any. Yeah. I like the, uh, the mirror nut edition as, uh, an alternate win condition and also a proc for planet of the grapes, but also a way to like lightning rod away any kind of like rolling stones or, or things like that before you get the Piconolith out there. Yeah, exactly. Like it's not immediately apparent that this deck is not, doesn't have a lot of nuts in it um and so uh mirror nut is a is a good way to burn a removal spell off your opponent also you can sometimes live that dream and get the mirror nut and the piconolith in the same lane and, and attack for 13 oh yeah i've done that before that's crazy yeah so now we've finally done a citron deck right right i'm pretty sure this is our first citron deck dive it might be. I mean, definitely. Like, as far as uh, as far as heroes like that are concerned, I would basically play Beta Carotene over Citron almost every time, um, except like in this specific instance. Yeah. Um, uh, the only Citron deck I play with any regularity is a uh, is a Go Nuts deck. Yep. But uh, yeah, it looks cool. Uh, have you been doing well with it? Uh, yeah. I mean, I've been. Um, it was just uh, PAX Unplugged this past weekend in Philadelphia, so I haven't been playing as much as I would otherwise have been. Um, but um, this is what I'm doing on the ladder this week. Cool. Well, that's all we've got this time for Shroom for Two. We hope you enjoyed this episode and maybe used it to take up some of your coming home from Thanksgiving travel time or some uh, some Black Friday background noise. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
Um, I, uh, I, uh, can't thank you all enough for listening to the show. Um, I've, uh, I've got, uh, Squarespace open here and I'm looking at some stats for our, uh, listeners and so on for, uh, the, the previous week from, uh, November 12th to the 18th. Um, we had 368 unique queries on our RSS, uh, feed. So that means that, you know, probably 350 some people have our show in their podcast app, which is pretty cool. And, um, as far as our popular episodes, our three most recent episodes, uh, six, seven, and eight are our three most popular episodes. So, you know, that's, um, our show is getting more popular. You're sharing it with each other. People are looking at it on Reddit. Um, and I think that's really cool. And, uh, and I'm very glad that we're continuing to get listener mail and stuff. As I mentioned before, we're out of it. So if you want to get your questions answered, please send them to shroom for two podcast at gmail.com. But, uh, don't ask about our budget decks cause that's not fair. Yeah, we'll we'll tell you all about our budget decks after the tournament is over. Hoping that's going to take more than a going to take less time than a month, because um, it's still it's still round one of that tournament right now. We had an entire week to play, and a handful of people still haven't. But uh, presumably, as the field dwindles, that will happen more quickly. Yeah, each 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 round will have uh, half as many games as the last one. So you know, by next week, we could be one round further, or it could be totally done. Who knows? Yeah, we'll see. And. Uh, and if we keep on, let's see. Let me look at the bracket again. Um, let me see how long it will be until we face each other, assuming that we each both win out. I think it's a semifinal matchup. Last I checked. That sounds right. Because we're both in the bottom half of the bracket, but we're not like facing each other right away. So it's round two, round three. Yeah, round four. So semifinals. That's if we the, if we both win our next two rounds, we'll face in the semifinals. That's the best of five, I think, at that point. Yeah. Oh, really? I didn't even notice that. Yeah, it goes like three, three, five, seven, or or something like that, or three, oh, three, okay, three, wow. five, seven. Yeah, three, 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 five, seven. Well, cool. Yeah, we'll we'll see if we if we meet up like uh, like Yugi and Kaiba in the Battle City semifinals, or if one of us trips up before then. Yeah, I think uh, I think last time I made a Dragon Ball Z reference. Uh, I don't I don't know anything about Yu-Gi-Oh. It's it it's a card game show, so you know, read up read up on your card game animes. Sure, that's true. I've only seen the abridged series of each of them. That's fine. That's that is a wonderful wonderful thing. And yeah. That's also most of what you get out of Dragon Ball Z you get from the abridged series anyway. Tune in next time for more abridged anime commentary on Shroom for 2. I'm Mike and I'm Taylor. Have a good week. Bye everybody. Bye.